Welcome to another Bite Side. I'm Seamus Byrne. Thank you for joining us again. And by us, I mean joining me is Nick Healy. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm great, but I, I just I know we've got so much to talk about today, but what I wanted to actually start off with, I'm just rolling straight into this. Last week, we talked about your self-imposed Facebook ban. You were cutting yourself off apart from business only. How yep. that's going? How is that going? Yeah, I've actually been really good. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't, uh, not having it on my phone has genuinely meant that now and then I do sort of think, oh, I'll, I should open it on the desktop and, you know, drop in some link. So I've, you know, been doing a, a not many, but I've done a couple of, you know, buy side page updates when I've seen some cool link that I'm like, yeah, that's worth sharing. Uh, and every now and then just needing to get a hold of somebody through messenger, that's been fine. But I do feel in, in a lot of respects, a lot calmer without having so many of the just his, all the horrible things happening and people arguing about horrible things. Yeah, look, and I do get that. Uh, it's I've been monitoring how much I use it just for my day job. And it's been fascinating to me how more deeply ingrained it is in day-to-day work than I'd ever imagined. And it surprised me because I had a Facebook memory crop up a couple of weeks ago from 2008 complaining about how work had banned and blocked Facebook in the workplace. (laughs) And I'm just imagining 11 years ago, it was regarded as an irritating distraction. It still is, but now it's an irritating distraction that you need to have for your job. And a thing that's come up a few times since is talking to people about how schools and in particular like parents and friends type groups have been doing a lot of their communications through Facebook. And it's that thing of, well, it's the place where everybody is. And it's, but it's like when it comes to something as essential as information about your kids and their school and their school community, it really sort of feels like one of those things where it's like, well, that's forcing people to use Facebook. It's not just that, well, that's where everybody is. It's like, technically, it's not everybody. And it would be better to be using more traditional defaults like email because some people don't want to have to be on Facebook. And also, I think there's always that idea with Facebook that you kind of have to respond, whereas email, at least it can be information dissemination, not necessarily sharing back and forth. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, things like, oh, I, we noticed somebody didn't press the like button. Oh, my God. It's so <laughs> fear. Or just a, whenever there's a comment that does nothing but tag another person in, just drives me up the wall for some reason. Yeah, yep. And and I've seen plenty of times, of course, where friends I know who are very careful about their privacy settings then have to point out <laughs> to that person, no, you can't actually share this with anybody who isn't one of my friends already, so please don't even try to do that. <laughs> that said, when I was back in WA, I don't know what I would have done without the moan and groan community for the town I was stationed in. I'm not going to name anyone. Anyone who knows me knows what I'm talking about. Uh, it was just wild that such a small town could have such a vocal and upset community as to moan and groan. And I swear <laughs> 90% of it, 90, 95% of it was photos of people who'd had a small mishap while parking being named and shamed on Facebook. Oh, <laughs> it, it was so bad that me, with my little pee plates, would hop out of my car, practically drag out a theodolite and make sure the car was within the lines so that I, no one would ever take a photo <laughs> and post it on moan and groan. And it's been wild to get to 
to Dubbo where people just don't care. You just park wherever and no one gives you a hard time about it either. You can be over like seven lines and no one's going to notice or mind. It's just wild. <laughs> it's just absolutely wild. Look, I'm digressing. Was there anything else we were going to talk about before we got into yep. it? Just the the one sort of quick thing that last week I did say when we were discussing Disney Plus mm-hmm. at launch that I was like, and it's okay, the Simpsons aren't even going to be on there. And while we were recording, it was confirmed, in fact, that the Simpsons are on Disney Plus at launch, which people may have already noticed if they've jumped in and on there, you know, right now, I guess they would be in their seven day free trial Ooh. if that's what you've done. Um, and honestly, I did end up pressing play on the very, very first episode of The Simpsons and forgot that it started as a Christmas episode. Um, which was, yeah, quite amusing, but oh, it does. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And the weird thing was I was watching it on iPad and, and it felt even worse about the whole. <laughs> 4-3 ratio thing because it's letterboxed on the iPad because they've made it widescreen and you're like, they've letterboxed something that was meant to be the other way. This is crazy. You've actually gone out of your way to make this as difficult as possible. Yeah. And they apparently have said they have, you know, that their intention is to fix it um, sometime soon. You know, it's always that asterisk soon, who knows when, but they have admitted that it is definitely something that they are working on fixing so people can watch it the way that it was meant to be watched. Well, God bless and my fingers are crossed. What do you want to yeah. kick off with this week? So, yes, uh, last uh, last week it officially launched worldwide, uh, and by worldwide, I guess US, UK, probably a few more territories, not necessarily everywhere yet, but yeah. Minecraft Earth. I've been having a bit of a play and um, and really trying to think about the whole differences and similarities with Pokemon Go. I did play quite a bit of Pokemon Go. We were working together when it launched. It was quite an amazing first couple of weeks, wasn't it? <laughs> it was wild. It was absolutely wild. I barely remember it. I did so much media about Pokemon Go. It's the only time I've met Patricia Cavalis is to be on the show talking about <laughs> bloody Pokemon goddamn Go. We had the walks. We had everything. The whole office would troop out and just stand around in the rain. Yeah, trying to collect Pokemon. We, it was we wild. were quite lucky in that. Yeah, where the CBS office was at World Square, we were like we had a great array of like Pokemon stops all around us, which made it really easy to just decide. Yeah, we're going to play this for a while because we are in a real hotspot anyway. So it meant you could you could go downstairs and you you could tell who was playing, couldn't you? Because of that that flicking up the screen action that just suddenly was this signature of yep. Yep, there's like 20 other people standing here quietly playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> so obvious and so wild just how big it was for a bit there. And um, i got to admit, I got back into it last Christmas and I couldn't tell you why. Yeah, right. I cool. just, I really did. Cool. I got really back into it, sending gifts between friends, people who still play, making my step count get, finding candy for whatever Pokemon I had as my buddy. I got really back into it and, um, yeah, then just forgot about it again. And look, I think they have done well to keep evolving that game, right? So, you know, they've added a few generations of Pokemon now so that there is, you know, quite a vast array of Pokemon available within that game. Um, but I think one of the things has definitely been, even for me, just dipping back in and now, oh, like I'm, I'm at level, I think I'm level 30 or 31. So I kind of, you know, went pretty serious though. I, you know, I know other people who are already at the maximum level and all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, yeah, one of the things that really, um, stood out, uh, was just how they kept doing things like the background play so that, you know, you could flick the switch now to basically say with all the kind of step counting type yeah. stuff that your phone can do, even if you're not playing the game, that 
the next time you log in, it will sort of say, hey, I've noticed you have walked, you know, 40 kilometers or something, and you will get those benefits in the game, which I think it was one of those things that, you know, earlier on, it was like, oh, I have to have it, you know, actively playing to get all those benefits. Whereas, um, you know, a few of those tweaks means you sort of do think now and then, oh, I should open it again, just so I can get a few of those bonuses thrown onto my account, even if I'm not actively playing. But Talking about Minecraft Earth. Um, <laughs> so is, I've just opened. I'm level 23 and my buddy is a Zangoose. There we go. I still have it on my oh, phone. Nice. Cool. Anyway, done. Go. So, yeah. Minecraft so Earth. Minecraft Earth, it's, I think there's some really important points about how it is quite different as a game. Like, and that's where I think it's, you know, and clearly since it launched, it, like it hasn't had that kind of explosive moment. But um, the game director was actually in town last week. So I'll have a short like 10 minute interview with him on another show next week. So I'll flag exactly when that goes up. But uh, he was a really sort of interesting guy and happily was talking about the fact that, you know, clearly they've learned a lot from Pokemon Go, but that it is meant to be a Minecraft thing and that it is still really considered an early beta for them so they just thought we want to get it into people's hands for now uh, and so there's a lot of sort of cool features that are planned that they're like it, we can't do that yet but for now the big thing is really when you go you go out walking um, when you're looking in the game it has a very similar sort of interface to Pokemon Go but the idea is that you will see um, you know like little bits of of dirt or stone or you'll see cows and sheep and pigs and all these kinds of objects in the world and they call them tappables and so the idea is you tap that and then you know hit it a few times and you collect it so most of minecraft earth right now is essentially that sort of farming aspect of minecraft you know where you are going around and just collecting resources and that's a lot of what the game is right now and then the crafting system is set up so that you there's just sort of two simple things right now because you know in in minecraft have you have you played much minecraft yourself um none ever whatsoever <laughs> ever, oh, ever, wow. ever ever wow. yeah i know i know and i was hoping you weren't going to ask me so i could just keep going mm-hmm, ah, mm-hmm. Ah. no none at all yeah so you know normally in the game early on you can kind of build yourself a crafting table and then you start sort of combining all these different things so the way it works in the game is the crafting table and the smelting, you know, your little kind of smelter, um, where that's where you refine ores and things like that and, you know, turn them into uh, iron and all those kinds of things. Um, the way all that stuff works is that's where there's sort of a little bit of a time gate. But again, it's like it, it doesn't feel punitive. It's more like, well, this is the system for how do you make it something that makes sense in the context of a mobile game. So, like, let's say I've I've punched down, you know, five trees and then I've collected 12 wood. I can then queue up those 12 pieces of wood to be converted into planks through the, the crafting table in the system, and it'll say, like, oh, that's going to take 10 minutes. And okay. then while that's happening, I can still be playing other parts of the game, but then I'll slowly be accumulating those extra resources. So really most of the game right now is that sort of resource management stuff, but then you can drop a little build plate into the real world. And this is the whole augmented reality thing that it's focused around. And that's the idea of going, okay, you know, you start with one free build plate, basically. So it's just sort of this, um, you know, build plate being... You know, I can look at a table and basically say, yeah, put my little little village or, yeah, my little house, put it on the table. And and then it will just 
go into augmented reality mode. It'll put that on the table, and then I can actually start um, building on that on that plate. So I can start, you know, building a house with all the things I've collected. I could, you know, put a little kind of pig pen and drop three pigs into my little pig pen and all that sort of stuff. If there's a friend there with me, they can actually scan a QR code on my screen and then they will now be in a shared augmented reality experience with me standing there around the table. And I can even see what item they're holding in their hand while they're walking around the table. So this is the kind of really cool part of of where it becomes a real sort of Minecraft experience. And in the long term, one of the ideas is that you'll be able to like go to a city and and leave something you have built in that location. And when someone else comes to that location, they'll be able to interact with the thing you left there. And that's kind of really, really a cool thing. That's not one of the things that's working at this stage, but you know, you, you will put down your plate. You can have this interactive experience with multiple people. But then when you leave that location, you know, that object will then just sort of pick up and disappear. Uh, but, yeah, long term, I think that's such a cool thing to be able to say, me and some friends are going to build a really cool thing, and then we will leave it in that place and other people can come and interact with it. The question I've got is it, it seems to me like the AR is the riskiest part about it because taking it back to when we were talking about Pokemon Go, that was the first thing everyone turned off. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like no one was actually interested in that aspect of it, which initially we thought was going to be the fascinating part. Oh, no, it's Pokemon in the real world. This is amazing. But it was immediately just a bit infuriating. So everyone got rid of it. I'm just curious. I mean, this is a big risk. We have not found, in my view, an AR application that has kept people hooked and interested for very long. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I don't disagree at all. Um, But I I do kind of get that feeling that long-term, if – if they can get this right, and that's a, it's it's definitely an if. Um, the first couple of times that I actually interacted with something, so there are these there are these things on the world map called adventures, and when you go and you know when you go within range of one of these things, you you know you essentially have to go into an augmented reality mode, and then you will kind of work out what kind of experience it's going to be. So. A lot of times it might just be here's a chance to collect a whole bunch of resources quite quickly because it's just, you know, it's just a little mountain or something and you can essentially mine it out and just grab all the things. But then there are two other modes. One of them, and apparently you can tell if you see it on the map and you can see like a little skeleton icon on it as well, that means that there's actually going to be mobs there that you have to fight. And so you need to make sure you've got the kind of equipment yeah, essentially, if you don't have a sword at this point, don't click on an adventure that has a skeleton on it because <laughs> it will kill you and take a bunch of your stuff, something like that. Well, that's a um, lot more depth than I'd realised. That actually does sound really intriguing. Yeah, and then the sort of the second part is some of them are puzzles, and we actually did encounter a puzzle when we met up uh, with the game director in Sydney. Uh, we went for a walk in Hyde Park, and we sort of found an adventure there, and it turned out it was a pig that was stuck in a well. And you had to sort of construct, con, construct, construct yes. stairs <laughs> to sort of help it climb out of this well that it was stuck in. And once it was actually able to sort of get up and get out, you then you sort of got a prize and, you know, a bunch of extra things appeared that you could collect. Um, and so, and it was the kind of thing again where there were three of us playing. We were all kind of able to look at this, 
uh, you know, at this well in the real world, sort of standing there and be able to interact with it. And you had to walk around it to be able to get the angles right to sort of drop the blocks in down in this well in order to help the pig get out. So it was really quite, um, quite clever. And I think, again, I think long term, thinking about those kinds of events that Pokemon Go throws where there'll be, you know, special rare spawn type opportunities for, you know, lots of people to work together. Uh, I could see a very similar sort of case for, for this game where they could have, you know, quite large, um, you know, towers or things like that that you can interact with with a whole bunch of other people. Look, I'm not going to lie, that's actually got me a lot more excited because I love those kind of puzzles where you've got to work your way through. And I think much as maybe the AR, I'm a little worried about, this actually sounds like something I could easily get into, at least short term. Yeah. So it's always the staying power of games like this <laughs> Exactly. And look, I think the one sort of last um, last part of that as well, I think, was um, oh, I, I really did have a last thing and it's totally <laughs> slipped my brain. It was something to do with uh, building. No, not the building bit. Uh, I'll remember later in the show and then I'll come back. That'll be exciting. I look forward <laughs> to that. Uh, let's keep the talk about games. I want to talk about easy modes. I said I wanted to talk about that at the end of last week's show. Yeah. Look, I, there's always this huge debate. What gets an easy mode? Is it cheating? Does it matter? Is it the, the true spirit of gaming? And I've got to say, and I will come out and just happily say this, I will choose the easy mode every single time, especially if it's called something like tell me a story or anything like that, anything that suggests <laughs> that it is favouring the storytelling over the strict gameplay. And I'm doing that at the moment without a world. So I've got that cranked right down and I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, just flowing back into that. And I want to talk about how I got into outer worlds later on because I want to chat about subscription models of gaming. But anyway, mm. all beside the point, I think there is a particular type of game that absolutely 100% benefits from being the easiest you can make it. Now, some of it's just about the time I have. I, mean, I don't know how often you get to game and, you know, between the two of us, probably not nearly as much as we'd like to these days. And the last thing I want to do when I'm playing something, especially a story or a narrative-driven RPG, is to be continually feeling like I'm failing at some bizarre aspect of gameplay when what I want to do is be getting absolutely soaked into the story. So for me, an easy mode, it's it's what creates access when I don't have the time to sync that I used to have. And I'm finding it so yeah. rewarding when games are doing that for me. And the Outer Worlds would be absolutely one of them. Not a few people didn't like it. I actually saw some chatter on um, Twitter the other day about people suggesting that um, it was just straight out a bad game and that um, Alpha Protocol was significantly better than Outer Worlds. But that's all they could ever say about Alpha Protocol, which broke my heart twice because I love both of those games unironically. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, but it's surprising to me because I'm finding it fairly rich. Yeah, look, a lot of it's fetch, fetch quests and similar things like that, but enough of it that I keep rolling on it. And some of that is just the fact that when I can sit down for an hour, I can squeeze in an hour of storytelling and it, I find it really rewarding. Yeah, yeah. look, I I mean, I agree. I, I think my sort of split on the whole easy mode thing is, I think, what was it, one of the recent... Bloodborne type series games, um, the Soulsy kind of things. You know, yeah, what do yeah, they call Soulsy them? type games, Blood Souls. Uh, like, like, they've got a name. I'm sure. A, got yeah, a name. yeah, Soul somethings. Yeah, um, that that those games. I completely understand 
why as developers, developers can make their own choice as to whether or not they should have easy mode type options. Because there were a whole bunch of people with one of those sort of recent games going, you know, it should have had an easy mode. And I think there is something always kind of off-putting when someone tells a developer what they should have done. Um, but on that sort of opposite side, I absolutely agree that when the easy mode is there, it is brilliant for people who want to be able to experience the content directly, not by just watching someone else play it on YouTube, not by like whatever other kind of issue. In fact, if I'm going to watch someone else play it, yeah, I'll watch someone really good at it play it on a harder setting than I would ever play it on. I think that's partly where, you know, so many esports pros successfully have streaming careers as well is because <laughs> you're like, I want to see an amazing person do this thing perfectly. But when I'm getting my time to play and it is limited time, then I just want to be able to have some fun in whatever fun mode I am capable of playing it in. 100%. And look, you know, I agree that a dev should be allowed to do whatever a dev feels like doing with their game, within reason. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it, it upsets me because I look at the aesthetic of, say, Bloodborne, and I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. But I also know I'm never going to play agree. it. I, and that's it. I'm like, yeah, I totally, I'm with you there. I'm like, I wish I could enjoy these <laughs> games because they are beautifully constructed. Um, but it is not a game that I have the time to get good at. One of the things, though, that I think is another sort of version of this sort of thinking, which I'm pleased is becoming more common, is what's often being called New Game Plus. And so that is hmm. this idea that the first time you play through something, you know, it is about, it is mostly going to be about the story and having the experience and completing the game, but that to add replayability that they are now creating this sort of the next time you start the game over, it will have new features and new difficulty settings to give you a whole different challenge in the way you play through it. I think that is a really cool thing to sort of give exactly that thing. Someone who decides, I loved it, I want to spend more time in this world, and now there's a different feeling to how you're going to play the game, and it is amping up the difficulty level now that you've already enjoyed the story aspect. That said, when I replayed Last of Us recently, I deliberately didn't pick New Game Plus because I just wanted to get that story again almost identical to the first way <laughs> I played. Hey, look, I'm difficult. I understand that. That is fair enough too. I'm that is difficult. fair enough. <laughs> so from gaming to you want to talk about the Brave browser, which I am absolutely 100% wildly not familiar with. I've never even heard those words together. Right. Brilliant. Well, guess what, buddy? Strap <laughs> in. We're going to go. No, actually, Whoa. it's not really that exciting. <laughs> um, Brave is, you know, it like so there's so many of these privacy focused browsers out there these days, right? Like lots of different sort of. Uh, attitudes towards sure. it. I know like Apple has built Safari to be a bit more privacy oriented in recent times. Um, but of course, you know, if you go to Safari, there's a lot of plugins and things that you might be used to or that you feel like are a really important part of being able to just, you know, get your work done that are based around sort of Google Chrome. And so you're like, I, I kind of need to be in Chrome. Uh, Brave is a browser that is entirely based on Chromium, which is the underpinning open source side of the Google Chrome browser. But everything about Brave is designed to, by default, block all those cross-site 
cookie type tokens and things to to basically make sure that every time you go back to a web page, unless you tell it you want to make this a trusted page, every time you go back to it, it is treating it as the first time you've been there and that the site will not have any information that's carried over from session to session. So it is really one of those great kind of browsers. It's been in, you know, it's kind of beta type thing as much as it's still entirely sort of based on, you know, the latest versions of, of Chromium. Um, it is just, yeah, really, really sort of good, a good system for, for anybody who wants to kind of say, by default, I want privacy to be number one. And then my second step will be to start whitelisting certain sites that I actually want to let keep tracking things for me now and then. That is smart as hell. And I think that this is what's been missing for so long is, is the option to do it that way. It felt like you were either absolutely cut off from any kind of tracking of any description, or it was like basically printing out everything you told it and mailing it directly to headquarters. So it's really interesting <laughs> to see this idea of um being able to find that balance that you are comfortable with. And that's what's really what I think most people want is that choice. I'm all in. You know, I've been mired down in this Google Android ecosystem for so long. I want Google to know absolutely everything about me because I have, in the phrase that we've used so often, I have traded convenience, traded privacy for convenience. Privacy is the currency I have spent for the convenience of it knowing everything about me. But that is a decision I have made. And that's what's been missing for a lot of people is the chance to actually make it. Yeah, and and that's what I really do like about Brave is that you can make that choice and that it is still based on Chrome. So you can install any of those really important Chrome add-ons that you care about that you're like, this is super convenient. I don't care if it, if that add-on is sharing extra stuff back to Google. I'm fine with that. Um, you know, every page you go to, there's this little kind of lion icon, which is sort of the Brave logo and you can just click it. It's called Brave Shields. And when you click it for a site, it will basically say, you know, shields up for this site. Um, you know, it even mentions if a site appears broken, then you can try shields down. Just it tries to make it clear what it is doing sort of with, you know, you know, why something might not look like it's working properly. Um, but you know, literally my defaults, you know, I'm here in Google Docs because we've got our spreadsheet open and, you know, it says docs.google.com. There is one item blocked. Uh, cross site trackers are blocked right now. And that's the one thing that's blocked. But if this site was HTTP and not HTTPS, it would actually upgrade the connection to be a secure connection. Um, it can also block scripts on any page, um, you know, and even flags if there's cross-site cookies being blocked. Uh, all those kind of, but the biggest thing really is a lot of those advertising scripts that actually slow down a website. So one thing I love is that when I open a brand new tab in Brave, uh, you know, since I've been using it, and this is, I'd say I've been using it for about three or four months, but it, it literally says it has blocked 65,756 <laughs> ads and trackers <laughs> since I started using it. It has upgraded web pages to secure pages 861 times. And it has, it says estimated time saved just in terms of page load times, estimated 55 minutes saved because pages load faster when all those scripts aren't being loaded. My, my jaw genuinely dropped at those numbers. <laughs> 
Wow. And what's lovely as well is though, they also have this kind of brave rewards program where they're trying to have like help independent websites to have sort of privacy respecting ads running on sites and then they will sort of you know pass through payments to the sites that you might go to because it's set up as like a non-profit organization i'm pretty sure i will double check that before i say that again next time or i will <laughs> yeah verify no brave is made under mozilla public license 2.0 um open source software um copyright 2019 the brave authors um but yeah look there's you know there's like a kind of rewards program thing you know and they also always kind of flag that idea that you know you know if you if you want to if you get a website where you're like going i really want the web the ads to appear again you can kind of click that brave shields button and say yes on this website always make the things appear you know all those sorts of things like it will it Again, by default, stops videos from autoplaying, and you can tell a page to let videos autoplay on a given domain. So just, again, all those defaults are just don't let it do things that are annoying, and then I'll tell you if I'm okay with this particular website being annoying. (laughs) Well, I will give you an indication of the depth of my patience, and then we will move on from there uh, so well worth checking out just if you look up a brave browser um you know it's easy to test out it has just hit version 1.0 and it's well worth a look i am going to give that a go in between playing the outer worlds and as i hinted at before i'm playing that because i've actually signed up to xbox game pass oh yes did we talk about it on the show or was that just oh that was via twitter wasn't that was it via like, twitter oh my it's, god it's actually on game pass it's on game pass which i kind of half knew but what i didn't know and thank you very much for alerting me to this is that xbox at the moment is giving you game pass for the first three months for a dollar not a dollar a month but a dollar all up for, for all the, three for months. The months yeah which is crazy right. and of course you can drop out any time the subscription right, like, that's a summer of gaming ready to go for you for 100% 100% i'm so happy about this subscription gaming i uh, you know i think i've resisted the idea of it for a while because i think you and i've chatted more than a few times on not only this podcast but just offline as well i like owning the physical stuff you know you and i talked a lot about how you know if your all your music for example is through a subscription cloud service and then one day they just change the licensing agreement they've got you could lose the music that you signed up to begin with you don't own it same and there's goes a with, lot of Taylor Swift fans who l- had that happen on Spotify. A lot of Taylor Swift fans. There's a lot of issues around that. Uh, you know, we've seen favorite things. You know, I can't find, and this is really hurting me, the man from Uncle on any streaming service at the moment. It was on free for a while there, and it's not there anymore. I've watched that movie seven times. It's my little calm down movie where I can just watch two handsome men in suits run around Italy in the 60s. I can't do that anymore, and it's breaking my heart. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Look, so the thing that really hits me is, um, is just that idea that like on all these services, I love it when they have a system that actually tells you when something is about to go off the end of the service. Yes. I, I hate it when I miss out because I just didn't know, but actually I think. I think SBS and ABC are pretty good at doing that on theirs. SBS is um, great at it. Yeah, but I think, you know, like, I mean, it's like Netflix and the others, that they don't want to admit that sometimes shows 
will disappear from their service. Whereas I'd much rather know than just suddenly go, wasn't that thing on my watch list? What do you mean it's not there anymore? Um, yeah. And, and I've already noticed that with Game Pass that they actually have sort of a short list of here's the games that are disappearing soon. And again, I'm like, I'd love to be able to go, Oh, I do want to play that. And what a great, in, you know, again, that pile of shame type problem. If someone said, you know, the bottom five discs are disappearing next week, you'd suddenly decide that they are a priority in your life. That is really true. You want to know your endangered series or your endangered games that you've got your last chance to see. Yeah. So, no, I, but I'm really, uh, you know, I, I've tried to be quite careful with things like PlayStation Plus and Xbox Gold. You know, each month they sort of have a thing where, you know, as much as, I, I hate that you have to pay for these things just to play online. Yes. And I'm, I'm not even a big person for playing online. I think you and I are similar in that regard that it's like, give me the solo experience. I don't really care about multiplayer, but I highly object to the idea that these deeply online consoles now require these subscriptions <laughs> in order to even play them the way most games are designed to be played. I think that is rubbish. Um, but at least with PlayStation Plus and with Xbox Live Gold, each month there's usually two or three games that are like a free giveaway. So I do try to sort of log in and check if even if I haven't been playing lately, I'm like, okay, what's this? What's the latest download? At least if I put that in my library, um, you know, I can basically keep developing my digital pile of shame <laughs> rather than get around to playing things. It's just the game is to own the games. I think that's actually what it is now, isn't it? Nick? Gotta get them all. You've got to catch them all. Look, I, yeah. what's been interesting to me is see the rise of the idea of subscription model around gaming, including the hardware and what Telstra have been doing with Xbox, where similar to a mobile phone, you can actually sign up for both the hardware and the online gaming service at the same time. Sorry, which? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Telstra thing. Yes. I I find it weird, though. I don't know why. But I why? Do find that is really weird. interesting. Why? Because for me as a console gamer, I kind of understand it. Now, I'd want to look at the the end result of how much it costs and everything like that. But instead of that big outlay, which can be quite a sizable outlay, you know, the Xbox One X and Xbox, um, uh, what's it called? The Ultimate, Game Ultimate, Game Pass Ultimate. That's yeah. one. 38 bucks a month. Actually, oh, yeah. You know what? Like, if the price is right and the maths work, then... It does make a lot of sense, especially, you know, in this age of, and again, there's plenty of issues with all the afterpays and all those kinds of issues at the moment, um, or ways of, you know, getting your hands on something before you've got the money for it. Um, as long as you know, you're definitely going to pay it off appropriately. But this kind of a subscription option does make a lot of sense because of the fact that those subscription, you know, yeah, you're right. If you're going to be paying 15 bucks a month anyway for, for all that other stuff, then being able to build this into a plan um, and knowing, again, that now that this library concept is there, there isn't that same concept attached to the idea that, well, once I've bought the console, I still now have to go down to, you know, EB or JB every month or, you know, every <laughs> couple of months to get a new game that costs another 100 bucks. This... This does balance that out. And in that sort of family context in particular, there's a lot to be said for knowing there is a library of games there. Play the library of games and save your own pocket money if you want to go and buy some other cool shiny toy. Yeah, especially if at least 20% of those games are going to have the word Lego in front of them, which I think is mandatory these days. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But like the idea that they had Outer Worlds at launch 
um, up on Game Pass. It was like awesome. And I think it, it kind of speaks a lot to, you know, to Microsoft's effort to really make it a premium. You know, it's not just a back catalog service that they are clearly wheeling and dealing with game companies to, you know, give them enough of a payment to say, you know, whack it on here, we're going to give you money for that, we'll promote the hell out of it, and, you know, and it might even be that maybe a brand new game drops off a little faster than some others so that you need to kind of dive in there and play it, you know, and maybe it is only in, like, maybe it'll be there for three months, you know, and it might be that kind of thing where, yeah, there's plenty of times I haven't quite finished a game in the first three months, I'll play the first 70% and then get distracted by other things, uh, but it would be pretty cool to know at some point where it's like, oh, Outer Worlds is going to drop off the service soon. I better get back in and finish it off. Look, I agree. And I'm kind of keen to it. And I'm really glad I've signed up. Whether or not it will be worth the money after that, I've got three months to decide. And that's actually pretty good too. Yeah. I Look, I think it's, it's – I mean, that whole $1 deal is just such a winner right now. Just if, crazy. If you have an Xbox – um, and plenty of these games also are available as games for Windows. I think the whole Xbox. Yes, it's meant to be Ultimate. a cross platform yeah. in that sense. Yeah. So, you know, even if you're mostly a PC gamer, definitely have a look. And um, right coming into the summertime, this is such a good time to, to dive on that and go, I've got holidays coming up. I'm going to get some value out of it. Okay, we are running out of time and we've still got two more things we want to hit. Tell me about YubiKey. All right, I'll do just a really quick nod to YubiKey. It is, you know, okay, we're all dealing with two-factor passwords these days. Somehow with Brave and YubiKey, (laughs) I'm now basically being Mr. Security Guy this this week. Um, But, yeah, YubiKey is physical uh, USB two-factor authentication, basically. So a lot like if you keep your, you know, one password library or some other kind of thing, there's, a, you know, a lot of services now that support YubiKey as your sort of dongle uh, to prove that you are the person who is allowed to log into a particular thing. And like one thing that sort of that they point out is if you are the kind of person that does deal in important high security type details, that having like two-factor authentication that, you know, sends you a text message or that, um, you know, uses a mobile authenticator of some kind, that some of those things can still get hijacked by someone who really wants to get access to your stuff. Hmm. So by sort of moving to this sort of a physical authentication system, um, then you're basically, you know, seriously upping that capacity to, um, to be protected. And, the basically the way it works is you have you know the first generation of this was like a traditional USB which which at this point gets a bit awkward sometimes because you do have right like now do I have USB C or do I have uh, USB A or what kind of USB do I need um, yeah this thing is set up actually to to also now do a USB-C version if you know you're at that point where you're always going to have access to USB-C drive. But one of the others is that it can even have a little thumbprint on it so that you aren't just, you know, if someone then steals your car keys and this is on it, then now they've got access. It's like it can actually have, uh, yeah, fingerprint ID attached to it as well. But, you know, it has been one of those things where this company has been doing it for uh, high-end IT stuff for a long time and they have started to really push into the consumer space now for people who are just more people who go, I want to take this seriously. Um, And 
a lot of it also means that if you're kind of authenticating through this, that you might not even have to type in your password when you use it. You know, so there's like all these kinds of ways that actually it is that thing of it can both make things more convenient. You know, if you lost it, well, you can still go back to your password and, you know, there's like recovery systems in place. So it's not like shifting to that whole idea of going, but if I lose my car keys, I can't get in my car. You know, there's other ways you can recover things, but it's just a really, really clever thing for people who want to take it seriously. And much like mentioning Brave earlier, I think totally worth looking up if you're interested in this sort of stuff. And the company is ubico.com. It is. So ubico sells YubiKey. <laughs> it is gloriously old school, and I really appreciate it. It makes me remember the Java rings from the 90s, which we can – I know, I know. We both owned one. It's really embarrassing because that is really <laughs> old school. I've got, I've got a question for you. Have you watched The Mandalorian yet? I haven't. Okay, no, it's okay. I've had a busy week. It's okay. I wanted to watch it. Have you played The Fallen Order yet? No. Okay, have you read the rebooted Thrawn novels yet? I feel like I can see where you're going with this. No, oh, no, oh, no. Is, are you getting ready for the next Star Wars movie? Is there too much bloody Star Wars? Have we hit saturation? Oh, I saw you this note and I'm like, no, there is not too much Star Wars, Nick. And then when you've <laughs> mentioned all the things and I haven't caught up on any of them yet, I maybe, maybe, maybe. Because what I'm worried is that if we have too much, we start accepting things that aren't to the level of, how do I put it, things that aren't good enough. Now, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about The Fallen Order. Quite yeah. a few of them have been fairly negative. Mm. I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about The Mandalorian, and quite a few of those have been fairly negative. Now, I don't know if this is just, uh, as someone termed it, the implacable Star Wars fans. I don't know if this is people just getting upset. Or are we in a bit of a rush in that whole kind of Disney Plus mentality, just slapping Star Wars on some fairly random stuff in the hope that fans will take it? Here's my counterpoint. Yep. You know, we have had so much more Star Trek over the years <laughs> than Star Wars. And I think when we think back, not in the heat of the moment, but we look back, you kind of get a better sense of how different seasons, different series of the Star Treks, different movies, you know, that, yeah, there's ebbs and flows, but overall that there's a great texture of awesome Star Trek out there for us all to enjoy. And this is that sort of first moment where we're getting a lot of new Star Wars because the, you know, the bottleneck that was George Lucas is now sort of out of the way. And we're kind of seeing that opportunity for new people to come in and do their take on, oh, I've always wanted to tell a Star Wars story and this is the story that I want to tell. You know, I, I loved. Solo. I, okay, I didn't love it, but I really, really enjoyed the Solo movie. Heaps of people didn't. Apparently, there will not be another Han Solo movie because people were so negative about it. But I thought it was great, and I'm really disappointed that we won't get, you know, more stuff from that sort of angle. Um, you know, I, I was a big fan of Last Jedi. I am a huge <laughs> Ryan Johnson fan. I know, like, there was so much kind of negativity around that as well, but, um, I'm excited to see Mandalorian because I'm like, yeah, John Favreau, what's he going to bring to this universe? And I, I like the idea that over the next few years, we're going to have all these great storytellers sort of bringing their piece of the universe together because there is this massive Star Wars universe 
so little of which we've ever had it. You know, I'm looking forward to moving beyond the whole Skywalker, you know, sort yes. of paradigm. Yes. Um, and that's what excites me is that I think, you know, in five years time, I'm hoping that when we look back at it, we're like, yeah, there's a few hits and misses, but overall, look at this great Star Wars universe we've finally been able to explore. Counter, counterpoint, and it will have to be my last one, unfortunately. Solo was a fun, throwaway space western, space heist that was space quite western. enjoyable. Yeah. And if it didn't have that Star Wars heritage, no one would have given it a hard time. They just would have shut up and enjoyed it. Yep. I'm with you on that. And that's why I'm worried that we've just got too much Star Wars at the moment. <laughs> I will have to leave it there, I'm afraid. Here, here. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Nick. And, yeah, we'll catch you all next time. We will indeed. Uh, don't forget, hit us up on social media. I am at on Twitter, at Dr. Nick. That is D-R underscore N-I-C. I'm at Seamus, S-E-A-M-U-S. We are at Byteside and at The Byteside on Instagram. And mostly uh, I'll try to update Twitter more often. And if you've got anything you want to ask us, it is ask at Byteside.com. Byteside with a Y, as you should know, because he downloaded this. So I hope you know how to spell it. See you later.